Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central, and it starts right now. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. My name is Brandon Biscobing, and I've got a great show ahead of you, lined up for you. Lots of things to talk about this morning because, hey, you know what? It's fully football season now. I talked about it last week a little bit. You know, uh, did my whole – did my uh, – did, did my um, NFL last week, but this week now we can fully talk about what's going on on the field for all three levels of football, and and before I before I get into that, we'll we'll talk about the NFL. We're we're going to go down down uh, levels. We're going to start at the top and, and go down. And uh, before before I get to that, um, just want to say I hope everyone had a good Labor Day uh, this week. And obviously, you know, tomorrow is 9-11. I'll talk a little bit about 
that uh, later on in the show, probably in the last hour, because I, you know, I have a much different experience and a different mindset on it than I think a lot of other people, especially down here, have when it comes to that. So I'll, I'll talk about that and and what what it means to me and everything uh, later on in the show. But let's kick it off with the NFL that started uh, their play last night. NFL had their first game last night between the Cowboys and the Buccaneers. And before I get to that real quick, one little news piece that I think on one hand it's it was surprising, but on the other hand, I think for a lot of people it wasn't surprising, and that is the fact that Tyrod Taylor was announced as the week one starter for the Houston Texans. And I, I'm surprised and not surprised at the same time, because here's the thing. On one hand, you're thinking – Okay, you've got Deshaun Watson on your roster still. I believe he's been practicing. I believe he's been participating in training training camp. And if he has, why shoot yourself in the foot? Unless you're under the understanding that you're trying to trade him away and you kind of know that this year, because you're trying to get rid of him, this year is going to be a dud year, and you're basically using this year as a way to try to get a new quarterback. And if you don't think you're going to be able to make a trade for, you know, a Tua or another quarterback that a team may be willing to offload, then, yeah, you, you put in Tyrod Taylor and hope for the best, which is really hope for the worst, because then you meet, then you get a number one overall pick, or at least a high draft pick that you can go and get a rookie quarterback. That's just my thought. That's just my thought on why the Texans are doing this. Because otherwise, it makes absolutely no sense. If you actually want to win, then Deshaun Watson, no matter what off-field issues you have, on the field, he gives you the best chance to win between him and Tyrod Taylor. So the only op, the only concept that I can think of for why they wouldn't start him is either one, he hasn't been at training camp all that much, or B, they're basically just, you know, I mean, they've already given up on him. There's more to okay, forward beyond Watson. We're trying to offload him, but in the meantime, he is not our quarterback. And that seems to be the case. Uh, We'll have to wait and see what happens with all the legal stuff with Watson. I think that's really why there hasn't been a trade made. Is because a lot of teams are either A, waiting to see what the results are when it comes to that, or B, they're, you know, Or B, they're putting in stipulations about if he gets convicted, this happens when it comes to our trade. 
um, nullified or what have you. Um, so yeah, you know, not surprising, but still surprising at the same time that Tyrod Taylor was announced as the Texans' starting quarterback this week. Moving on to on-the-field stuff, Tampa Tom and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers continue to do what they do best, which is de- defy aging. He, you know, you, you see those commercials all the time of ageless male. Well, that's Tom Brady. He's the ageless male. So all you need is in order to get that, you don't need to get that product that they advertise. You just need to go and and get Tom Brady. I think South Park South Park even did an episode about this a while back, if I remember correctly. And what's funny about it is that this was. This had to have been like maybe a couple of this had to have been a couple of years ago at least. Uh I forget what season it was on. But it with uh you know with everyone trying to get Tom Brady's sperm because they thought, you know I forget if they drank it or in or what they did with it. But they they made you know, it was an anti aging cream essentially. Uh, or they rubbed it on their face or something. I, I forget exactly what they did in the episode, but I remember that episode. And it's funny that it's still relevant today because he is still the ageless wonder. Um, but to be fair, the Cowboys played well. They definitely look like they're going to be the team to be in the AFC East unless someone else comes out and suddenly is a is an amazing team after the dumpster fire that the NFC East was last year. Uh, and Tampa Bay had to fight for this win. They won it at the buzzer with a Ryan Suckup field goal after another great two-minute drill by Tom Brady. Cowboys took the lead with a minute 25 left to go in the game. You just... Let, let me just first say this. You you cannot, and I understand some things are unavoidable, but you just can't keep, you just can't leave Tom Brady that much time on the clock and not expect him to drive the ball down the field for a game-winning field goal. Or, you know, whatever he needs to do, whether it's a field goal or a touchdown, you just don't leave him that much time. You know, and, you know, for a lot of other quarterbacks, a minute 29 would feel like a few seconds. But for Brady, it feels like an eternity. And that is what separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks and the elite quarterbacks. Not really all that surprising. You know, the the Buccaneers are the defending Super Bowl champions. I I saw a stat yesterday. I think it was like... uh, I forget the exact no, the exact uh, record, but you know, Super Bowl defending Super Bowl champions since they started playing the Thursday night game with uh, with the Super Bowl champions, you know, unveiling the banner and all of that. The defending Super Bowl champs are you know 
well ahead of their opponents when it comes to the record in, in that in that Thursday night football game. <coughs> so, you know, so yeah, it's not surprising that, surprising that the Buccaneers won it. What I think the biggest takeaway for me when it comes to this game is not so much they're, you know, not the not anything that the Buccaneers did. Outside of maybe saying, you know, Brady is still is gonna have another dominant season because, you know, he he showed that he can still do the perfect two minute drills, you know, at age forty three or whatever whatever age he's at. I forget what the exact number is off the top of my head. But he and and he's trying I saw another thing the other day that said he's trying to break the record of oldest quarterback and I think he did break it last night, oldest quarterback to ever win a game in the NFL. Um or something like that. And and he could go on to win another Super Bowl. Uh it it's it's you know what's really funny about this whole thing? situation when it comes to Brady how many years and this is a decade ago we're talking about how many years year after year after year in in the early 2010s were we saying going to be the year is this going to be the year is this going to be the year year after year asking the question is this going to be the year that Brady finally shows some wear and tear? Finally shows his age. And after a while, by like the mid mid tens, we thought a, a lot of people were like, "Okay, just wait." You know, don't even say anything. Just wait until it looks like it's starting to happen, and then the speculation can begin. And it just, it didn't happen until 2019. You know, 2019 was the year that he struggled in in New England. The questions started to come around. And while a lot of people didn't necessarily doubt him, I think some pundits were saying, "Oh, you know, when when he left New England and went to Tampa Bay, it you know the the joke was he's going down there to retire like all the other old people. You know, this is more of a swan song for him. He's not really going to do a ton in Tampa Bay. Although a lot of people also understood that he's going to be, you know, He's going to be surrounded by a load of talent that can win him another Super Bowl. You know, and that was the big criticism, and that was the big, depending upon who you talk to, either a criticism or an out, the the scapegoat for Brady was that he didn't have much in terms of a receiving core in New England. In 2019. So, you know, 
never count out Brady. I I could see him winning another Super Bowl this year. It's it's not going to be easy, you know. It never is. He you know he hasn't won back to back Super Bowls in a while, and it's very hard to do. He's the last one to do it, and I think I think prior to him there hasn't been one for a while. Maybe early nineties, I want to say. But what's even crazier? What's even crazier to me about Brady's longevity, and if you really think about it, here's a stat that both will make you old, make you feel old, but also will show how crazy Brady's longevity has been. There will be players that will come into the league next year and there may even be some in the league this year. But definitely going into the league next year. There will be players that were born after Brady won his first championship in 2001. Let that sink in for a second. He could be playing with players who were born after he won his first Super Bowl. That's that's just crazy to think about. I mean, I, I saw I, I saw some uh, another thing I saw the other day that there are some players that he's either playing with or against currently who he played with or against their dads twenty years ago. You know, or 15 years ago, or what have you. So that just shows how how big Brady's longevity has been. So never rule him out. You know, the Buccaneers are still going to be good. And one more thing before I move on to the rest of week one. I, I may have jumped the gun a little bit last year when, uh, you know, Brady's legacy as compared to Belichick's legacy. But considering both of them are, you know, the immortal wonders that they are, these next couple of years, however long both of them have left, are going to determine that relationship that that everyone has talked about for 20 years of did Brady make Belichick or did Belichick make Brady? At this point, you would have to say that Brady seems to have made Belichick. But to Belichick's credit, or giving him the benefit of the doubt last year, the Patriots were the team that was that was missing the most amount of players due to opt-outs last year. And not to mention you had a quarterback in Cam Newton that, for one, was still learning the system and had to learn it on a short schedule. And for two, wasn't exactly Belichick's type of quarterback. You know, Belichick isn't exactly a fan of the dual-threat running quarterback. He wants a pocket passer. Well, now he's got one. In, in Mac Jones. So now the question is, 
can Max Mac Jones become the new Tom Brady? That's going to determine who gets the edge in this debate, in my opinion. Okay, so moving on from last night, uh, let's look at some of the games this week. Philly and Atlanta, I think Philly probably wins that game, but, you know, who knows. Pittsburgh and Buffalo is going to be a very good game, and here's why. It'll It'll really show you what both teams are going to be like this year. Is Pittsburgh going to be able to, you know, build back better and and become a threat for the NFC AFC North? Or are they kind of middle of the pack again this year? Is Buffalo the real deal? You know, everyone's hyping up Buffalo this year for a number of reasons. Everyone's hyping up uh uh, I'm Josh Allen. There we go. I was drawing a blank on his first name for a second. Everyone's hyping up Josh Allen right now. But is he the real deal? So that game is going to be a fun one to watch to see who's, you know, this is one of those contender versus pretender type of matchups. Now, obviously, it's week one. So both teams can bounce back from a loss if they have it. But it's going to be a big test to really see where those teams are at in terms of competitiveness this year. Minnesota and Cincinnati, that should be an interesting one to see how Joe Burrow comes back, but probably Minnesota wins that one. San Francisco and Detroit. This is going to be an interesting matchup for a number of reasons. One, it's going to show us how long of a leash Jimmy Garoppolo has. You know, and 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 how trigger does do the uh, do the Forty um, Niners have? How how short of a leash do they have on on Jimmy G? Now, to be fair, at least for this game, it appears as though Trace Land may have some issues. Latest on him is that he's he's been limited in practice with a finger injury. Um, there they may not. The offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel, said uh, yesterday that he looks good, but we're very hesitant to get ahead of ourselves. You just have to let the week progress and see how it plays out. So, he's not starting anyway, but could that mean that Jimmy Garoppolo has a longer leash this week than he may have otherwise? We'll have to wait and see on that. Um, looking at looking at a few other games. Well, uh, continuing on that game real quick. Uh, the other thing to watch on the flip side, you know, Jimmy G has the questions in terms of how long of a leash does he have with Trey Lance behind him. 
On the flip side, you've got uh, you've got Jared Goff in on Detroit, who is in a new system, on a new team with I won't say high expectations, but expectations that with his track record he should be able to improve the team at least a little bit. Hopefully, that's going to be the big question: Is he able to? improve the Lions as well. Arizona and Tennessee, that should be an interesting one to see how uh, how Kyler Murray steps in in his third season. If he is really the real deal and he's able to lead the Cardinals to a playoff berth this year. And then obviously how well Tennessee does with Julio Jones and all of that. Seattle and Indianapolis. This one is more intriguing, I would have to say, in terms of Indianapolis and, you know, what what comes of them. Uh, you know, is Carson Wentz, now that he's on a new team, is he able to right the ship of his career? Uh, is he able to make the Colts a legitimate threat in the AFC South? Seattle, we know what we're getting. So the big question there is more on Indianapolis. Chargers against Washington, another one where, you know, this is another one where, you know, the the onus is more so, I would say, on the Chargers. Because, again, it's another question like, like with uh, more so like with Arizona with Kyler Murray in his third year this year it's Justin Herbert's second year in the league does he take the next step forward for Chargers uh, and and do they potentially become a threat this year Washington the question with with Fitzpatrick is there uh, and going to be a threat in the East. Jets and Carolina is an interesting matchup. I wouldn't say so much in terms of standings, but just the fact that uh, that um, I, I want. I know it's not Mark Sanchez, but I I real I I wanted to say Mark Sanchez so badly. Sam Darnold, there we go. Um, the the big question is, you know, can Sam Darnold, much like Carson Wentz in Indy, can he revitalize his career in Carolina? And he's got some he's got some familiar faces over there. He's got Robbie Anderson, who he played with in New York. Uh, you know, but obviously you still have Christian McCaffrey. Um, and then obviously with the Jets, the question is how how do how does their rookie quarterback uh, stack up? You know how how well does Zach Wilson play in his first game in the NFL? Uh, but I think the more intriguing question, especially considering he's facing off against his old team in his first game back, or his first game uh, in the NFL, is how does Sam Darnold do 
in uh, in Carolina. Jacksonville and Houston. I think honestly, the more intriguing storyline here. You know, everyone's going to be looking at Houston in terms of how you know how Tyrod Taylor plays. You know, no Deshaun Watson and everything. But the bigger question is, Trevor Lawrence gets at least a relatively easy game here in his first start in the NFL. Does Trevor Lawrence put on a clinic and put on a show and maybe show, probably not this year, but what Jacksonville can expect moving forward? Cleveland and Kansas City, I think the bigger question in this matchup is what is what are the Browns? Are the Browns going to be a legitimate threat, or are Browns going to Browns? They're probably not going to beat Kansas City, but as long as they keep it competitive, then it may show that the Browns are legit this year. Miami and New England is going to be an interesting matchup. Alabama against Alabama. Tua against... Uh, It's going to be Alabama against Alabama, Tua, Tua against Mac, Mac, Tua Tagovailoa against Mac Jones. The you know, the the back back to back Alabama quarterbacks from two years ago and from last year uh, should be an interesting matchup. Obviously, seeing whether you know Tua is going to take, take the next step, and also what to expect with Mac Jones. Uh, Green Bay against New Orleans, that's going to be an interesting one, seeing how Jameis Winston does now completely under the helm in New Orleans, and obviously after all the chaos that happened in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, what's going to happen there? Uh, Denver and New York, that's going to be a matchup between two teams that don't really know what their identity is right now. I mean, New York does know it for the most part with Saquon, but they need that extra piece or that extra guy to really make that next step. Uh, it's going to be more, you know, okay, let's see what we have uh, for both teams more than anything. And then Chicago and L.A. Rams in the nightcap. Where it's, it's new quarterbacks, uh, different types of new quarterbacks. Um, you know, the Rams have Matthew Stafford, a, a veteran. Well, so do the Bears, because the Bears have announced Andy Dalton as their starter. But the difference is, with the Rams, they paid all this money for Matt Stafford, or made this big trade for Matt Stafford. So, obviously, he is going to be the starter all season. Whereas the Bears, they also drafted Justin Fields, and they have Nick Foles. So how long of a leash does Andy Dalton have? And if he's struggling, who do you bring in? That's going to be an intriguing matchup, both because of in Chicago, and in terms of that, and then also the question marks in L.A. in did this gamble with bringing in Matt Stafford, will it pay off? That's going to be the big question. And then finally, the Monday night game, uh, Baltimore and L.A., uh, you know, I think this is more so going to be, you know, obviously you want to see what Lamar Jackson's going to do and 
where he goes in his maturity and all of that. But I think this is more so going to be a question on are the Raiders going to be any good this year? Could they do something in the AFC West? So, yeah, there's all the games for this week. Uh, you know, lots of fun action this weekend. Um, and, yeah, NFL football is back. It's It's good to have back. And, you know, not really much more I can say about uh about all the games this week. Lots of fun things going on uh this week. And uh yeah, so you know that's that's the NFL season for, or the NFL week one for you. Uh should be a fun one. Lots of great games, lots of intriguing games this week. Uh and hope you guys enjoy enjoy watching it and you know, it's just going to be, it, it's going to be a fun weekend. It's going to be a fun weekend. Football is back in full. And I'll, I'm going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, we'll switch over to Saturdays. Because there's a lot of stuff to talk about on the college front as well. So be sure to keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Sun Sports Central. Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. And like I mentioned, we're going to transition over to uh, college, to the college ranks now. Uh, forgot to mention before, uh, at, at 8.30, Lou Bejack from the state coming on. And as always, if you want to call on in, if you want to get your thoughts in on anything going on in the world of sports, uh this weekend or tonight, be sure to call on in three two three seven eight four nine six eight one is that number to call. That number again three two three seven eight four nine six eight one. Phone lines are wide open. And before we get into the week two preview, um, just want to talk. Actually, hmm. You know what? I'm going to talk about some stuff on the field right now. And then I'm going to save 
the the well some off the field some semi on the field stuff uh some big news that came out this week and some big uh and some big uh you know talking points in the college rank ranks that uh happened this weekend and this week I'll leave that for later I'll leave that for the last hour um we'll talk about that in the last hour uh since we're we're not not really exactly low on time but I wanted to focus the second hour on the high school rank so let's go into week 2 and and some games Actually, before we get into that, let's go through uh, some week one games because there were some there were some upsets this weekend uh, on Saturday. Well, started on Friday, honestly, uh, because Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech managed to beat North Carolina, the number ten ranked North Carolina team, Tar Tar Heels. That was a that was a pretty big upset. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Virginia Tech is going to be a good team this year. But I think, you know, everyone was talking about North Carolina is going to be the team to be in the Coastal Division this this year. Uh, either them or Miami. We'll talk about Miami in a bit as well. Uh, not an upset on their end. But, you know, where, where do they go from here? Uh, but, yeah. North Carolina losing to Virginia Tech, that's going to be a big blow for them, and they're really going to need to rebound uh, this weekend. Uh, some other games that were, you know, some upsets or or some good games. Uh, you know, Penn State. Penn State being Wisconsin is a bit of an upset, but I won't really necessarily call it an upset per se, uh, you know, Penn State is still a good team, but, you know, I think Wisconsin will bounce back from this win, or this loss. The The big thing that I will take out of this game is that Penn State is better than a lot of people, I think, thought, and that means that the, the matchup against Ohio State is going to have a lot of intrigue. Uh, Oregon got got you know they they won the game but they they looked uh a little shaky for a little while uh look Fresno State might be able to pull off the upset they Oregon did eventually win 31-24 but they were under some threat uh there for a little while uh Iowa managed to beat Indiana big in that and now it was 18 versus 17, but the the margin of victory is the big storyline here. And does this mean that Indiana are pretenders? Alabama dominated Miami in Atlanta. While this isn't really all that surprising, it does put a little bit of a damper on Miami because, you know, it's one thing if that game was close, but it was a blowout, 44 to 13. So I don't, you know, Miami's really going to have to rebound this weekend. Uh, while not ranked, Mississippi State had a pretty big scare this weekend. 
only lo- only winning by one against Louisiana Tech. Now, granted, Sun Belt over the last couple of years, especially last year, have been great, and they're definitely a conference on the rise, which we'll talk about later on, uh, because they may be even more on the rise move, uh, moving forward. Uh, Texas managed to beat Louisiana pretty pretty big, 38-18. But, you know, I I don't know if I would necessarily say that really says much about either team. Because Texas could win big against, say, you know, a group of five team, but then they could struggle the next week. We don't know. And Louisiana, obviously, they're facing off against one of the biggest teams in the country in terms of, you know, size and name recognition and all that. Uh, other games from this week uh, that were oh here oh the the big one. Uh, well, before we get to that one, let me just look to see. Yeah, there weren't really many other games that were really noteworthy uh, this week, but obviously the big game in Charlotte, the the nightcap. Georgia beating Clemson ten to three, and I think this says more, or maybe not necessarily says more, but this makes Clemson's road, I think, a lot harder. And here's why, especially with all of the talk. And and now, well, I think this just sets up for, or at least I hope. I mean, I've talked about it over the last couple of weeks how how the expansion of the playoffs may be in jeopardy. That win right there may have been the best thing to happen to make sure that the playoffs do get expanded. Because here's the thing. Either way, someone's going to feel like they've been snubbed this year, assuming both of them go undefeated the remainder of the way. Because let's say Georgia – well, no. If Georgia goes undefeated the remainder of the way, including beating Alabama, there's no way they don't get it. But then here's the thing. There will be teams that will feel like they've been snubbed this year, as long as both these teams go either undefeated or just one loss. Because here's the thing. Let's say, well, whoever wins that matchup, let's say both Alabama and Georgia go undefeated, going uh, going into the SEC championship game. Whoever loses that game will still have a legitimate claim on being a being worthy of being in the invitational. And if Clemson continue it remains undefeated and wins the ACC, just based on their pedigree they'd say that they'd be worthy of getting in. 
And that's going to be a big question that the committee is going to have to answer. And no matter who you choose, unless you pick all three, and then one, uh, you know, whether it's Ohio State or... Here's the thing. Especially after this win, more than likely, someone is going to feel snubbed. And here is why I think this is a good thing for college football playoff expansion. Because no matter what team it is, whether it's, whether it's Clemson, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Oklahoma, whether it's USC, whether it's Oregon, whoever it is, or multiples of those teams, that feel like they got snubbed, especially if they won a conference championship. And let's not forget about Notre Dame as well. Who knows what happens with them. But especially if one, you know, no matter who it is, those teams are going to have the clout and the strength of voice to say, hopefully, to say, this needs to change. We need to expand so that those who are worthy of getting in do. And yes, may some, you know, there, especially with how the system is where they need a unanimous vote, you may have the issue of some schools of 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 one rogue school saying, no, I don't feel like you know giving you you know a, a shoe in to get into the the college football playoffs. Which I mean, fine, it's their prerogative, but they're shooting themselves in the foot because if it's a lower end school in a Power Five division, in a Power Five conference then you're essentially saying that you you're essentially saying that you have no chance of making it anyway because your team isn't good enough and you just want to spite the big boys that's my that that's how i read it that's how i i interpret that because that's the only way you can really interpret it is that you're, they're just look the big boys at this point. So, yeah, you know, this set, you know, already we're only past week one, and already we're set up for chaos. And that's the thing. That's the problem with the college football invitational as it stands currently. is that it's too subjective. Moving on to this week. Uh, Tonight, the big matchup tonight, not really big in the sense of, you know, who's going to win, but big in the sense of, you know, this is going to be another big, you know, milestone victory for the, the Sun Belt. Coastal is hosting Kansas tonight. And yeah, I yeah, Coastal's gonna win this game. Hands down. 
it's gonna, it, it's still going to be a good win for them. Looking on to tomorrow, uh, a few games to keep an eye out for. Obviously, you've got, you know, the big games. But going through a few of the smaller games first, I think South Carolina against East Carolina is going to be a good game. I'll talk about – well, you know what? I've got some time. Let me talk about this right now while I'm talking about, uh, you know, the week two preview. Uh, Luke Doty is on the depth chart for this week, but unsure if he'll play right now. Shane Beamer came out yesterday and said that Doty was a little sore during practice, and he wants Doty fully healthy before putting him out there. Uh, and especially with how well Zeb Nolan played last week, I don't think you necessarily need to rush Doty back. Now, granted, ECU is much better than FCS Eastern Illinois. But I would at least Nolan and see how things go, see how well he plays. And, you know, if he plays well enough, just keep him in there. But then if he struggles and Doty says, I'm good to go, then you could potentially put him in. But I would start with Nolan at this point. Uh A few other games, but I, I think South Carolina has the pieces to win this game. Obviously, it's on the road. It's at East Carolina, which is a tough place to play. Carolina can win this game. Now the question is whether or not they will. The big matchup this week, and this is going to be another one that, depending upon who wins, could throw the entire system into flux. And that is Oregon against Ohio State. If if Oregon wins this game, all hell breaks loose in the college football playoff realm. And And I can already tell you this much. If Oregon wins this game, plans to vote on that expansion will kick into full gear. And it, and so I'm hoping Oregon wins this game, but I have a feeling, especially with it being in Columbus, Ohio State probably wins this game. Uh, a few other games, uh, you've got Florida against USF. I think Florida probably wins that game. Don't really see uh, USF pulling off the upset. Middle Tennessee at Vitek now ranked. Uh, you know, I think Vitek's con- going to continue their winning ways. Uh, not too many big, big games this week. Um, a few, you know, smaller, interesting games. A- Air Force and Navy, that should be a fun one, especially, you know, on September 11th. I know it's tradition to have it at the end, but especially on a year like this, and maybe I'm well out, way out of line, but this would have been the year to like to reconsider and maybe say, let's push Army-Navy up. I know that's why they probably scheduled Air Force and Navy this week as basically a substitute to Army-Navy as the patriotic game of the week for you know, it being on September 11th and everything. 
this would have been the year, 20th anniversary of September 11th, push Army Navy up to that date. I know, I know, I know. I'm ruining all that. But wouldn't that have been interesting to see? But that that'll definitely be a game that to to go check out. It's on CBS. That should be a fun one to see, especially with it being nine eleven and all of that. Um, Iowa and Iowa State is going to be a very on multiple levels because here's the thing: Iowa lost last week, so now they have to show that you know they're that they're a legitimate contender. Iowa State beat Northern Iowa. So, you know, not exactly a, you know, huge loss, or not exactly a huge win, but a win nonetheless. Um, You know, between both of those games, um... You know that that should be an an interesting uh, that that should be an interesting game right there. You know, uh, you know, I Iowa State won last week, which you know it, is good, but you know they were facing Northern Iowa, not exactly a a game that really you know blows people away. But the fact, more so the fact that, oh, no, excuse me, I take that back. Iowa won last week. They were the, the lower-ranked uh, lower team against Indiana. Indiana was the team that got blown away. So, but still, you know, seeing that game, it's two ranked teams. See who the better team in, in, the, uh, in Iowa is. I was trying to remember what their, their state nickname is. Uh, but I guess they don't really have one. I guess the Hawkeye State. Um, but Iowa against Iowa State, that should be a fun one to see, you know, who... I think it's called the Cyhawk Trophy, which is a pretty cool nickname for a uh, trophy. See who can win that game. And, you know, it's going to be a big game for both teams in terms of gaining some momentum in either the Big Ten or the Big 12, too. SC State against Clemson. I think Clemson should obviously should be able to win this game, but it's still an interesting one in terms of Clemson bouncing back from the loss against Georgia last week. I think just seeing SC State out on the field. It's always fun to see the FCS schools go up against the FBS schools. Texas against Arkansas, that should be an interesting one. See if temp- Texas can continue this momentum. Uh, App State against Miami, see if Miami can rebound. Uh, Eastern Michigan against Wisconsin, Wisconsin needs to rebound there. Um and then outside of that, not too many, you know, those are the big games. Not too many huge, huge games this week. Obviously, week one, they, they put in, they, they put those big games on. You know, the biggest game, obviously, this week is Oregon against Ohio State. That one, uh, 
but should be another good, uh, another fun weekend of college football, um, and plen- plenty to talk about, or yeah, plenty of games to watch uh, this weekend. So I'll take a quick break and come right back. We'll we'll transition over to high school, talking about you know. Unfortunately, I have to talk about some cancellations, although. This week, I didn't really do a tabulation on how many games were canceled, but at least it just seems to me as though we're starting to slow things down a little bit, starting to get things a little under control. And then, you know, talk about uh, a, a big game happened last night, a big upset last night. Talk about the ramifications of that uh, and get ready for Luke coming on at 8.30, so be sure to keep it locked right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central.
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. And like I mentioned, we will transition over to the high school side of the gridiron. And as always, if you want to call on in, get your thoughts in on anything, 323-784-9681 is that number to call. That number again, 323-784-9681. Uh... A quick um a, a quick note and, and shout out and you know, send my thoughts out to him. Uh this has been a very, very tough uh last three weeks for South Carolina offensive linemen. Not quite to the level of the last couple of weeks, not quite as serious as a death, obviously. Uh, But Jack Greenway of North Augusta announced yesterday that he is being forced to retire due to a heart condition. He was getting some Division I offers um, and just, yeah, tough, tough break for him. He was, you know, he was going places on the gridiron and a tough break for him that he has to... uh, that he has to back down and and move uh and move away from football at least in the playing sense but you know if jack if you're listening or if anyone who knows him is listening um you know obviously keep your chin up and one thing a lot of players and I, it's getting better now and obviously you see it on the national side with former NFL and and college players uh, and for other sports too, obviously. But there are so many other jobs in the sports industry that not only are rewarding, but also keep you in the spotlight if that's what you want. Or keep you, you know, busy if that, you know, whatever you want to do in the sports world outside, you know, outside of play and how, and whatever you want your mark to be, there are ways to do it. You know, I, I was, you know, you know, I was, I knew at a very young age that I was not going to be able to play at a high level. 
And so, you know, I I transitioned my focus to the the broadcast booth. You know, the you know, the broadcast booth and and the and sports talk. So, there are plenty of options, there are plenty of things you can do in the sports world outside of playing. So, be sure to, you know, if you want if you want to stay close to the field that that's what you gotta do you gotta see where where you want to go from here so good good luck to you jack and if you've got any questions you know we're always here to help um before we get to the games going on this week uh unfortunately gotta talk about the games canceled this past week not looking at it on paper there there are still a good few but i don't think there were as many this week as there were the last couple of weeks certainly not last week and i wonder if labor day had something to do with it cuz there were fewer days in school and whatnot maybe i don't know this is this is a question i'm going to ask Lou Bezjak when he comes on at 8:30 but starting off from last week uh you know, shortly before the game uh, on Friday morning, Wando against Somerville was canceled. Uh, Stahl is in, is now in quarantine. I forget if they had a game. They were supposed to have a game this week or not uh, initially. Well, obviously they initially had a game, but I don't know if it was canceled previous to them being playing quarantine. Uh, but either either way, they are not playing this week. Louisville against New Hope canceled. Rich Spring Manetta versus Wilson Elko canceled. Rich, Rich Spring Manetta is now playing Louisville or Louisville. Uh so that should be an interesting matchup. Wagner Sally versus Blackville Hilda canceled. Uh Wagner Sally has been shut down for two weeks. They also lose their game next week. Uh Blackville Hilda will be facing off against McBee this week now. Peliana against Whitmire was canceled. Great Falls against Columbia was canceled. Great Falls now uh, taking on Hemingway. Woodruff against Chester canceled. Chester will now play Northwestern. Blythewood against North Central canceled. Blythewood now playing Richland Northeast. Daniel against Lawrence was canceled. Daniel now playing Hendersonville from North Carolina. C.E. Murray shut down for two weeks. Not sure if they had a game scheduled for this week or not, uh, but either way, they're they're not playing this week or next. Uh, Clover versus South Point canceled. Dorman versus Hillcrest canceled. River Bluff against Berkeley canceled. Uh, Crescent against Hart County canceled. Chesney versus uh, RS Central canceled. Swansea versus Clinton canceled. Clinton will now face off against Calhoun County. Timmonsville against McBee canceled. Dreer against Aiken canceled. Dreer was originally originally replaced that game with Mid Carolina, but that game has since been canceled. That was canceled last night. Uh, Marlboro County versus Pittsburgh Leeville canceled. South Florence against Lugoff Elgin was canceled. That game was scheduled early in this week initially. And then was just canceled a couple of days later. Georgetown against Hilton Head canceled. 
Georgetown against Hilton Head canceled, and Hilton Head had an even has an even bigger problem in terms of scheduling any replacements because, although it kind of makes it easier in a way because teams want those home games, so it's easier to say, hey, we have to travel, so we'll take any away game. If you need a home game, we'll take it. Because right now, they're having their stadium renovated. They're having new new turf put in. Uh, so there's no home games possible right now. Not sure how long that's going to take. But, I mean, it's kind of a double it's a double-edged sword where it's harder to schedule games in the sense that you're, you're needing to look for that away game. But at the same time, it makes it easier because teams want the home game. So it's an interesting dynamic there. Uh, Ainer and James Island was canceled. James Island now playing Kane Bay. And Green Sea Floyd uh, has mo- moved the region game uh, against Lakeview to October 15th. Uh, they're in Green Sea Floyd is in quarantine again. Lakeview did originally schedule Hannah Pamplico this week, uh, pushing that region game up. But that game was then canceled on Wednesday. And then Lakeview uh, scheduled Fairmont from North Carolina for this week. Uh, So, you know, it's been interesting to see how this all develops. Like I said, this week was a little lighter than last. uh, But you're seeing a lot more interstate battles. Uh, A lot of teams from North Carolina or Georgia traveling to South Carolina to play games with all the quarantines. Um, And and like we've been saying, it's kind of good in a way where this is showing just how flexible uh, teams can be when it comes to uh, when it comes to um, you know playing, you know having to change schedules on the fly. Which is good. Which is good. Uh, Chapman versus Newberry has been moved to Monday. So that um, that's the only game that I've seen that has been moved uh, off of Friday. Sumter and Carolina Forest was supposed to be uh, initially reported was it was going to be moved to tomorrow. But now that is on for tonight. So... That's another question I'm going to ask Lou, how that how that ended up happening. Um, before we get into the games for this week, actually, real quick, uh, before we get into that, go through some of the games uh, from last week. Um, not too, too many, really. I mean, you could say, you know, with how Clover was playing, you know, maybe the fact that they lost that big to Northwestern was big. Uh, Fort Dorchester showed why they're the number two ranked team in the state, you know, beating Dorman by 10. Uh, you know, so that's not, it, that wasn't really all that su- surprising. Um, but, you know, still just, 
just further proof that, you know, Fort Dorchester is the real deal this year. Uh, some of the other games this past week. Um, not too many, uh, not really any huge upsets. I mean, South Florida dominating Irmo that badly was not really an uh, it's not an upset obviously but it's just it's a bit of a surprise it's going to be very interesting to see how South Florence does they've been on a tear in non-region play thus far it's going to be very interesting to see how that translates to region play moving into you know once we get into region play of weeks uh well for for region 64A i think they may start Next week, I think, is when region play would start because it's coming up definitely because they have they have seven teams in that region, so they have to play six region games. Uh, which, with how things are going, I don't know how that's going to happen, but we'll we'll just have to wait and wait and see on that. Um, one big upset that I would have to say is Brooklyn Casey, a three A school. Uh, going to going to Blythewood, playing a game on the road against 5A Blythewood, and beating them 14 to three. I mean, yes, you know, Brooklyn is one of the best teams in in 3A, but still, that's that's a bit of an upset right there. And speaking of lower seat, lower uh, classification teams beating uh, higher classification. Teams that'll segue into the one game that happened last night, and this was this made a lot of people uh, talk on Twitter. Southside Christian beat Greer last night, twenty-three to fifteen. That's a one-A team beating a four-A team, and not just a four-A team, a pretty good four-A team. Now, granted, Greer hasn't been what they were last year. But still, losing to a 1A team, it's going to be very interesting to see how that impacts, you know, the the rankings. I mean, Greer wasn't even, wasn't ranked uh, going into this week. Or, or last week, for that matter. Like I said, they're not exactly what they used to be, but... Or, they they aren't what they were last year, but still, uh, you know, this is this is just further proof. I think in my mind, more than anything, when it comes to Greer, I think this is just further proof that Southside is certainly not a one A. They definitely need to move up next year in realignment. Uh. And I'm going to ask Lou what, you know, if this is going to have any impact on the SEHSL potentially moving Southside Christian back up to 2A or, you know, wherever they end up. Uh, but, again, this also leads to the larger debate on charter schools and all that and how you determine what they are because charter schools – while not officially recruiting, because they have a wider scope, they can they can 
poach top players from the other schools in the area. And because them of them being charter schools and being lower in terms of uh, in terms of population, uh, in terms of enrollment, you can be put into a smaller classification and thus have an easier road to a state championship, as we saw with Southside Christian last year. So. So yeah, that, it's going to be very interesting to see how that impacts uh, realignment talks next uh, later on this year. Well, beginning of next year, really. Um, but yeah, that was a. It's an upset, but it's not an upset. Like on a traditional sense, it's a huge upset. Four A losing to a one A, but with with the change in. In, in the change of how teams are built and everything, it's not all that much of a shock. But you know, I, I you know uh, follow him. He's he's great. He he mentioned you know he he asked the question: if a one A beats a four A, is it really a one A? And and that's the question when it comes to Southside Christian. And it's going to be very interesting to see if it, it how that plays a factor moving forward next uh, year. Looking on to tonight, uh, some games to watch this week. Big matchup between Ridgeview and Gray Collegiate. Uh, you know, that's another one. It's a 5A against, uh, I, I want to say Gray Collegiate is 2A. I, I always... Forget if they're uh, 2A or if they're uh, 3A. Yeah, Gray Collegiate is a 2A. That's, I, I was correct. So that's another one, you know, the uh, a top 2A school, one of the charter schools facing off against a, a very good 5A school. Ridgeview probably will win that game, but still, it's it should be an interesting one. Uh, Greenwood against North Augusta. That should be an interesting one tonight. Um, I think Greenwood probably has has the advantage in that one. Um, but, you know, uh, North Augusta is no slouch either. Uh you got Lower Richland against AC Flora. That should be a fun one tonight. AC Flora probably uh, has the edge there, especially after what they did to Sumter a couple of weeks ago. Brooklyn Casey against Chapman. See if Brooklyn Casey continu- can continue their hot play. Uh, Chapman, you know, again, another, uh, another 5A school um, that, you know, Brooklyn Casey is trying to take down. Myrtle Beach against Oceanside. That should be a fun one tonight at uh, the Citadel. Against a a top 3A school. And then Carolina Forest against Sumter. See, this is going to be a game for both teams to see, you know, who, you know, contender against pretender type of matchup. Who is the team that's going to take 
that next step. Both of them are receiving votes in the polls uh, this week. So, you know, those, you know, those te- those two teams are going to try to do what they need to do to win that game. And on top of that, there's the added bonus, at least for Carolina Forest, of a revenge factor from what happened last year with the Panthers looking like they had the game in the bag. And then Luke Janik breaks a run, gets the first down, which would have iced the game, but then proceeds to fumble the ball, tie the game, and then proceeds to win it in overtime. So that added bonus is going to have an uh, an impact uh, tonight as well. So that should be a fun game. I'll have the call for you guys uh, tonight, so be sure to tune in at, at – uh, shnsports.com slash Carolina. Be sure to tune in there. Uh, before I take a quick break, before we get Lou Bejack from the state coming on uh, in just a little bit, run through the media poll this week for each classification. In 5A, not much of a change. No change at the top. Dutch Fork at, at number one with 17 first place votes. Fort George Chester at two. T.L. Hare at three. Gaffney at four. And Ridgeview at five. Northwestern jumped up from seven to six. Burns dropped down to six from seven. From seven. Chapin dr- jumped up from not being ranked up to eighth. Dorman dropped from eight to nine. Ashley Ridge jumped up from being not ra- not being ranked to tenth. Spring Valley dropped down from nine to receiving votes. Also receiving votes: Woodmont, Riverside, Carolina Forest, Sumter, Malden, and Blythewood. In 4A, AC Florida is at one with 15 first-place votes. Greenville at two with two first-place votes. Myrtle Beach at three. South Point jumps up from five to, from five to four. Greenwood jumps up from nine to five. North Myrtle Beach still at six. Buford still at seven. South Florence jumped up from not being ranked up to eight. Their uh, impressive play has uh, really impressed the pollsters. And they get a spot in the top 10 now. Like I mentioned, that Region 6 5A is getting pretty cramped. Talking about another team in just a little bit. That's going to be a fun region to watch uh, over these next couple of weeks. Catalpa Ridge drops down from 4 to 9. May River at 10. Irmo drops out of the polls from 8 to receiving votes. Also receiving votes is West Florence, North Augusta, and Pickens. In 3A, Daniel at first place with 17 first place votes. Dylan at 2, Chapman at 3. Camden jumps up from 5 to 4. Brooklyn Casey jumps up from 9 to 5. They're, like I mentioned, they're a team to watch. Chester jumps up from 7 to 6. Aner jumps up from 8 to 7. Clinton jumps up from 10 to 8. Laura Richland jumps up from not being ranked to 9th. And Gilbert drops down from four all the way down to ten. Der... Hey, who did Gilbert play last week? Oh, they played Lexington and they lost. I don't remember the score on that game, but uh, I think they played on Saturday, either Saturday or, or Monday. Um, 
But yeah, so that's what gets them dropped down. Union County dropped from six to receiving votes. Also receiving votes is Powdersville, Hanahan, Crestwood, and Fairfield Central. In 2A, Abbeville still the team to beat there at 17 first place votes. Great Collegiate at two. Like I mentioned, that big matchup between Great Collegiate and Ridgeview tonight. Uh, that should be a fun one. Marion at three. Saluda at four. No changes in the top seven. Uh, Silver Bluff at five. Barnwell at six. Andrews at seven. St. Joseph jumps up to, from 10 to eight. Philip Simmons jumps up from not being ranked to tied for ninth, and Newberry stays at tied for ninth as well. Also receiving votes dropping down from eight is Christ Church. Also receiving votes is Wade Hampton, Lake Marion, Woodland, Andrew Jackson, and Central. And then in 1A, Southside Christian at one with 17 first place votes. Lamar at two, Bamberg Earhart at three, Whale Branch at four, Louisville jumps up from six to five. Blackville Hilda drops from five to six. Lakeview at seven. Great Falls jumps up from eight nine to eight. Hannah Pamplinko jumps up from nine to ten. Or from ten to nine, excuse me. Baptist Hill drops down from eight to ten. Also receiving votes is Wagner Sally, Calhoun County, Johnsonville, C. A. Johnson, and Ridge Spring Manetta. Uh a few other quick notes before I take quick high school notes before I take a quick break, uh, and then I'll have Lou Bed coming on at the bottom of the hour. Camden head coach Brian Rimpf, uh has been placed on leave. No real indication on why uh, the school wouldn't release the reason, uh, but he will not be coaching that game tonight. And then Brian Ortega from Aner was invited to the All-America Bowl. So congrats to him. He should uh, – that's going to be a good good uh, opportunity for him to uh, to show off what, what he can do. Uh, so I'll take a quick break right now. And then when I come back, I'll have Lou Bezak from the state joining me. At the bottom of the hour, right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Where it began, I can't begin to know it. But then I know it's growing strong Wasn't the spring And spring became the summer Who'd have believed you'd come along Hands Touching hands Reaching out, touching me, touching you.
don't seem so lonely We fill it up with only two And when I hurt Hurting runs off my shoulder How can I hurt when holding you? Warm Touching warm Reaching out Touching me Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. And as promised, we got Lou Bezak from the state. Lou, good morning. Good morning, Brandon. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. First off, that a big NFL game to kick off the season last night. What did you think of that game last night? That was a great game. Both ways, a lot of offense and Great quarterback play and just uh, just a great way to start the NFL season for sure. Indeed, indeed, your Steelers. Uh, what what do you think about your Steelers? How how do you think they're going to do this year? I think they'll be all right. I, I don't like their chances this week going to Buffalo though. No, but uh, <laughs> it's going to be a tough matchup. But I think they'll be all right. They'll be right in contention for uh, a division championship with uh, Cleveland and. Well, maybe Baltimore. Baltimore's got a lot of injuries right now, so we'll see how they can respond to that. Yeah, AFC North is definitely going to be one of the most interesting uh, divisions to watch this season, along with the NFC West. Uh, Moving on to the high school side, this week, relatively light relative to the other weeks when it came to – you know, cancellations and all of that. Do you think this is due to schools starting to get things under more control or just a matter of so many teams already in quarantine or not wanting to travel that there just aren't enough games to get canceled at this point? Yeah, we we actually had probably one of our higher weeks here as far as cancellation and quarantine. Where it started a little bit last week and being able to play for a couple of weeks and a couple of schools went virtual. Um, so, but yeah, it, I think you'll see it less, hopefully less, uh, less cancellations. Well, there's going to be a lot room, a lot less room for error. Some regions are starting region games uh, this week or next week. So it's going to, 
going to start uh, – you're really going to see teams scramble if uh, region games start getting postponed, and hopefully things will get up, um, yeah. like you said, under control, and uh, there will be less uh, less cases and less – you've seen the cases starting to drop a little bit, so that's always a good sign. One one region that is starting uh, this week – well, was supposed to start last week, but then had – some cancellations of their own, and technically these games won't count it as region games unless they do, uh, but the the biggest region that has moved up their schedule, Region 6-5A, uh, last week Sumter was put in quarantine and reported that the game against Carolina Forest was going to get pushed back to Saturday this week, but has since been moved back to tonight. How did that happen and what was the process in figuring all that out? Well, there's, I mean, just as far as uh, I guess, I mean, when kid, they were able to get kids back as far as um, when they started going in quarantine and sometimes you only have to go seven days or if you get negative tests. So I think it was a combination of both, but uh, as of yesterday, <laughs> there was a chance that they that game almost wasn't going to get played this week, but everything's fine and uh we'll go ahead with uh, uh kickoff tonight um it should be a good matchup yeah i think obviously the two region favorites uh there and uh, uh like you said it it could end up counting so i mean you got to really play uh, like, like this will be the one that, that counts towards the region standings because you don't know what, what's going to happen uh what, before the second time they play and not to mention carolina forest also has the added bonus of what happened last year in that game at Sumter as well. So they've got a little added motiva- motivation to go into Memorial Stadium and, and get that win back from, from last season. The big news came out last night, Southside Christian beating Greer 23-15. What's your biggest takeaway from this win? <laughs> it's going to be – take a huge task uh, to knock them off in Class A. Uh, they proved that they could play w- with just about any classification. I know Greer, I mean, they're supposed to have a pretty decent team, but then they lose Skinner before the year to, uh, to IMG and just uh, have struggled a little bit. But Southside Christian rolling, and uh, it could, could be bad news for the rest of Class A. Uh, they definitely are the favorites, and uh, – uh, definitely show that they can compete not only at Class A, but any level of competition. Especially since ever since the the reclassification happened a couple of years ago and after what happened last year with Southside Christian and now this, do you think these things that have happened on the field, um, I know there was a uh, – I know there was – a proposal to add this into uh, the realignment package for this year, I think specifically because of schools like Southside Christian and Gray Collegiate and Oceanside. But it, is this going to have any impact on the decision of by the league in terms of potentially moving Southside Christian up from 1A next year? Well, I mean, if, unless they put, put a multiplier on it or uh... The, the one proposal that was was making 
teams that have had postseason success move yeah. up the classification in that, but that that got voted down. So I don't know. I mean, uh, hopefully they'll roll in. They definitely don't need to be Class A. They definitely should probably be 2A for sure, maybe even 3A, uh, just because of the way they um, – things are as their enrollment and everything so and they showed that they compete on can compete on that level anyway so um we'll see what happens uh we're getting close to the 45 days in school uh so we might be seeing something soon as far as uh the first realignment numbers but uh we'll see um maybe by the end of the month or early next month uh to see that and while you, you mentioned with Jaleel Skinner going to IMG, Greer is not the team that they were last year, but another school that is very good uh, in 5A facing off against a lower classification team that is also very good. Could Ridview suffer the same fate tonight against Great Collegiate, or does, no. do the Blazers have enough to win that game? No, I just don't think Gray's deep enough. Ridgey's physical on both sides of the ball. I know it's going to be a little different as far as the atmosphere. Uh, Mid- where Gray plays their home game, Midland Sports Complex is basically like a rec field. They don't have permanent stands. It's portable stands with their lawn chairs. So yeah, That could be a little different, but I think Ridgeview's just uh, too strong on both sides of the ball up, up front. Uh, Gray might be able to score a little bit, but I just think uh, – They'll they'll have trouble stopping uh, Ridgeview's offense. We we already talked about two of the big games uh, happening tonight. I know there's a few other games that are going to be, but what are some of the biggest games for you that you're looking at tonight? Uh, other than Gray and Ridgeview, Low Richland and AC Floor should be pretty good. Um, I mean, Ridge, Richland's off to three and zero start. Uh, Flora. Is a defending state champ. So they've only played one game. Uh, they had their first uh, their opponent the first week canceled uh, because of COVID, and then last week was their regular bye week, and they didn't pick up a game. So um, it'll be interesting to see uh, how crisp and how fresh they are um, playing this game tonight. Low Richland, um, they, they got some playmakers for sure at running back and. Uh, Pearson and Barney combined over 600 yards of rushing. So it uh, will be a test for Flores' defense, which uh, shut out something in their opener. Um, not too many other games. I mean, it's not that great a schedule. Uh, Chapin and versus Newberry, but that won't happen until Monday. That should be a, that should be a good ball game for sure. Uh, Keenan, C.A. Johnson, you might not think of that, but, I mean, C.A. Johnson, the way they've played and are improved, and uh, Keenan – um, got off to a good win last week over Dreer. Uh, I think it should be a good game. Last year it was. It went down to the final uh, minute, and uh, I think uh, it should be another close uh, game as well. So uh, looks like there's going to be a few uh, pretty good games in the Midlands. Uh, where are you going tonight? Little Richland and uh, AC4. Good. Well, have have fun over there tonight. Uh, I'm I'm sure to have a good game tonight between Sumter and Carolina Forest. That's going to be a good one tonight as well. Uh, great, great talking to you and uh, have fun tonight. Thanks, Brandon. Once again, that was Lou Bejack from the state. Always fun talking to him, and uh, yeah, some good matchups tonight. Not nothing too uh, like you said. Not not many. Uh, 
big matchups tonight, but a few a few fun ones. Uh, and you know, a- AC Flora that that game uh, between AC Flora and Laura Richland should be a good one uh, tonight. I think AC Flora, especially with them being the home team, should be able to win that game. Uh, but yeah, we'll we'll just have to wait and wait and see. Uh, a few other uh, before I take a break, um, let's go through some recruiting notes. Go through through some recruiting notes, and then, like I mentioned, got some stuff, uh, some other college notes for you to. Uh, got some other college notes to talk about um, once uh, once we uh, after we take the break got a couple of other college notes and, and a few other notes uh, got, got an interesting you know the probably the, the biggest story in, in high school sports right now got some more details on that and just more craziness and and chaos when it comes to that i'll talk about that uh probably at the bottom of the eye that'll be my last story along with just my uh talk about 9-11 and all that uh do that at the end of the show at 9 30 uh but yeah um so before we get into that we got college football more college football stuff to talk about at the top of the hour and then that story, along with just, you know, a reflection on 9-11 at the bottom at the end of the show. Uh, but before we get into that, let's talk some recruiting. A few a few guys getting some uh, offers and commitments this week. Tried to get a couple of them on the show this week, but didn't get uh, a response. First, the offers, Jay Bradford from Chapin, offered by South Carolina. Jalen Rambert from Powdersville, offered by App State. DJ Getz from Dorman, offered by USF. Marky Anderson from Dorman, offered by Clemson. Raheem Jeter from Spartanburg, offered by Temple. Monroe Freeling from Oceanside, offered by Vanderbilt. Jashawn Anderson from Hartsville, offered by Kentucky. And then on the commitment side, Andre Washington from Ridgeview, committed to SC State. And Avion McBride from West Florence committed to Georgia State. And then on the baseball diamond, Nate Hoyt from Bluffton committed to East Tennessee State. So, yeah, so there's uh, there's your recruiting notes. And like I mentioned, you know, uh, a lot of good, you know, some good games going on tonight. Um, this week, uh, Let's look through the uh let me look around the grand strand real quick uh for tonight. Obviously you've got um well you've actually got a couple of uh you've got a couple of games going on tonight. Um you've got Sockacy at St. James tonight. Um that should be an interesting one. Uh, happening tonight. So both four of the five teams in Region Six Five A are opening up their their double round robin region schedule tonight. Uh, 
still some question marks on certain teams and and how they uh, replace some games or if they do bother to replace them because uh, Carolina Force was supposed to play Conway last week, but obviously didn't. And I think there were there was at least there was at least one other uh, region game that was supposed to happen last week that didn't because of uh, COVID. Uh, but it's gonna, but Carolina Force was going to play St. James last week, but that didn't happen either. So the potential of that game being pushed up uh, probably won't happen now. Uh, so, you know, because Carolina Forest initially had St. James on the schedule for week five, but since then, you know, that, you know, because they, that game didn't get, uh, pushed up, it may, that, that may not be the case. So we'll have to just we'll just have to wait and see uh, how that how that turns out. Um, probably would end up being the the St James game, but not I'm not sure on that honestly. So be sure to you know that will be let known once once it uh, happens. But that was kind of surprising. I mean, I guess. Uh, you know, if you look at some of the games that were canceled this week, it is a lot of uh, Midland schools. To me, maybe it's because of how chaotic last week was and the fact that, uh, you know, you had that one day, I think it was Tuesday, Was it, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday, where just, you know, games were just seemingly dropping by the minute. It seemed, uh, you know, I think that's why this week didn't feel like it was quite as uh, as crazy as last week was. So that that's that's the only reason why it felt that way to me, at least. I think, and also I was more directly impacted because you know not only did Carolina Forest lose their game on on Wednesday, but a lot of Warrior County games on Wednesday as well. So on a low, on a more local level, it, it felt more impactful than it was. Uh, but yeah, so, but I think, or at least I'm hoping we're we're kind of getting into that clearance where yeah you're still going to get quarantines and games canceled at each week, but the chaos of the first couple of weeks at time you never know, and you know but before before I take a break one thing I want to just mention it's kind of funny to me and and it's ironic that I'm saying this now. Um, and it's even more ironic that, you know, after how it looked in the spring and even in the early to mid-summer, it 
seemed like we were going to be able to get through the season. No problem. We didn't think we were going to, you know, people probably thought we may have some quarantines, but no one anticipated what we're having now, which is a shame. But at the same time, now some people are saying, oh, there's no way we're going to be able to get through the season. Uh, the seasons were get, will be canceled, et cetera, et cetera. It, that's just not going to happen. You know, last year I thought it may have a chance to if things got bad enough. And and on the basketball front, we did kind of see it. We did see whole districts and whole regions taking a hiatus after Christmas or during Christmas. Uh, financial rise in cases. But this time around, I don't – yeah, here's the thing. If basketball wasn't canceled last year, then I don't think anything is going to cancel anything. Because two things. For one, the only reason why baseball was canceled a couple of years ago and – it's, and it's crazy to say that we're already a couple of years into this. Well, a year and a half into it, but you get what I'm saying. The only reason why baseball was canceled a couple of years ago was because it was fresh and stop for a little bit and, and we get through it. And then it became political and, you know, people drew their lines after a while. And since then, especially in areas like this, there's no chance at because the only way that anything would ever change is if you had uh you had something happen related to the government and trudge on you know if if certain regions need to take a hiatus or you know certain regions have to do you know the same thing goes with the SEHL SL everyone's just packed passing the buck on down. Everyone's just passing the buck down and you know if and it's basically, you know, we're going to we're 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 deferring responsibility onto someone else. But it doesn't work like that. It it just doesn't work like that. Um you can try to make it work like that all you want. But that's just not the way the world works. Um, so, you know, yeah, that that's the thing when it comes to that. If you don't like it, there's there's a very simple solution to remedying this whole situation, especially on the high school end because they're all eligible at this point. You know, obviously the little kids are, are a different story at this point. But I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, if you don't like your football being canceled, if you know, you know, this isn't political, but you know, just get the vaccine. Damn, that's all you really need to do. It's not that hard. Just get the vaccine. So that's that's my little rant for uh, for today. Um, still got. Still got a full hour ahead of me. 
uh, to talk about. We got some college notes to talk about uh, at the top of the hour. And then the I'll finish things off with both, you know, talking about 9-11 and everything and also talking about what is the cra- probably the craziest story, certainly in high school sports around the country right now, but perhaps even in sports just in general. The craziest story going on today, and the story just keeps on getting crazier. I know. It's shocking. I know it's crazy to think that one of the craziest stories that we've seen in sports in a while has just gotten even crazier. But we'll talk about that uh, when I return from break. Uh, like I, Well, not when I ter- return from this break. After this break, when we come back from break, talk about college football, a few stories. Well, one big story and one big uh, question asked this week um, about the sport in general moving forward. So that will be coming up right next, right here on Sports Unlimited. On and as always, if you want to get your thoughts in on anything, be sure to call on in, 323-784-9681. That number again, 323-784-9681. We'll be right back with some college football talk right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Central. Hey, yo, you ready? Let's do it. Yeah. On the cover of your vibe, yeah. double X sounds yeah. the sauce. Come here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central, and as 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 promised, I've moving. We're moving on to some uh, other college football notes uh, from this week. First, the big news uh, that haven't seen it happen yet. Obviously, they're primarily in the Central Time Zone, so the timing is a little different. It's nine o'clock here on the East Coast, but it's only eight there right now. Uh, in Texas, but the Big 12 has already announced they're planning on expanding. Uh, We talked about it last week, but now even more so, it it seems to be moving much more quickly. Uh, Cincinnati has officially applied for membership. Uh, They applied for earlier this week. Big 12 expected to announce their acceptance today, and they are to invite UCF BYU and Houston as well this morning. Like I mentioned last week, the only one, at least for me, that really makes sense is Houston. Uh, I would have loved to have seen them bring in SMU. I would have loved to have seen them bring in Rice. Those are the two other schools. That's the one. Rice is the one that I forgot to mention last week. That works. That makes sense to me. Uh, SMU and Rice basically rebuild the the Southwest Conference, obviously, minus Texas and and Oklahoma. Or, excuse me, minus uh, Texas and, uh, actually, now that I think about it. Um, But, yeah, you know, basically rebuild the Southwest Conference, minus Texas and Arkansas, basically. Uh, But minus Texas only in terms of Texas schools. Uh, but I would, I, that would have been my first, those would have been my first choices. Uh, Houston's the only one that really makes sense to me. 
Big 12 is basically going to be like the American now. And the interesting thing about what this does to the Big 12, my question is, when it comes to the Big 12, is what this do for it in terms of what its status is? Because you're bringing in three American schools, three of the top American schools, plus BYU, assuming that they all accept. And so, you know, each of each of the three American schools have had moments where those of us who want to see a fairer system, each of those three schools have had their moments where those of us who wanted to see a more fair system have been heralding them as the team that needs to be in the playoffs. Houston, I think it was in 2016 or 2017. Well, yeah, Houston, it was 2016. Uh, UCF was 2017 and 2018 and 2019. And then Cincinnati was last year. So, you know, but the difference is, and we've already seen it happen to an extent, uh, when it comes to TCU, you know, TCU was being the big Cinderella, you know, back in the late 2000s, early Do Does, uh, you know, does what, do these schools suffer the same fate that TCU has where, yeah, they've been good. They've been a threat here and there, but they haven't really been a powerhouse like they used to be. And yes, that is partially facing off against tougher competition. But I think it's also, I don't know. I don't know. So it's going to be interesting to see how these three teams, uh, or four teams rather, handle going into a larger conference. But at the same time, does it impact things when it comes to, you know, those schools and and the the prestige of the Big Twelve. Do the Big Twelve still be are the is the Big Twelve still considered a Power Five or is it now Power Four and Group of Six? That's going to be the question over the next couple of years. That's going to need to be answered. Now, obviously, if the playoffs get expanded, that doesn't matter because it's just you know, whatever the top conference champions are, they get in, no matter what conference it is. So that that distinction between power and the the mid-major conferences in college football won't be that big of an issue when it comes to automatic bids. Now, obviously, for... for uh, for the at-large bids, that's going to play a factor. But for the, the automatic bids, it wouldn't. Uh, this is uh, – it, it's already started to an extent, but expect this to – if all these schools do accept, expect this to uh, be the start to a larger realignment shift. 
because with the American being poached, they're going to want to school, so they're going to look to the lower, you know, because the American has always kind of been the middleman, where they've been considered a group of five, but a bigger group of five. So they're going to look at the other group of five conferences and see who they can poach. The 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 odd man out, it seems, the school that has been overlooked, partially because they haven't been top-notch in recent years, but also because, you know, they haven't been in a, you know, the American has become the bell of the ball when it's come to group of five and the Cinderella teams. Uh the school that's been looked overlooked and 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 has been missing out on this has been Boise State, but I could see Boise State being invited to the American as a way for them to enhance their brand. I mean, they were initially offered to join the Big East. And I think they even accepted before the Big East ended up folding. And the American is just the continuation of the Big East, even though I think the only school that was ever even invited into the Big East that's still there is Temple. So, you know, yes, technically the American is the continuation on the football side of the Big East, but it's not at the same time. It's interesting. But I could see Boise State joining the American. I don't know where else you really go in terms of the American expanding and and getting back the four, the three pieces that they're going to lose, assuming that all four uh, schools accept. But then that's just going to continue the domino effect. So once the American starts poaching teams, then those conferences that uh, that lost schools to the American are now going to look to poach schools. It's going to be very interesting to see if some FB, FCS teams get called up uh, as a result and get you know and get offered positions in these conferences. Um, you know because the the Sun Belt already said yesterday that they plan to be aggressive. Question is, you know, yes, they're early. Yes, they're a, a, a young upstart team. There's a couple of young upstart teams in the Sun Belt who have looked good over the last couple of years. But the question is going to be, uh, you know, do the comments like the American or like Conference USA, if they get some schools poached, do they look at a Coastal? Do they look at a Georgia Southern? Do they look at a Louisiana and say, hey, come on up? That's going to be interesting to see in terms of what happens with those schools. Uh, and then, uh, And then on top of that, you know, if you know if if school or if teams are poached from the Sun Belt, then where do the where does the Sun Belt, who while they were the talk of the town last year, they're still basically considered by many to be the bottom of the barrel when it comes to FBS. 
does to try to get new schools for the conference. I wouldn't mind seeing South Carolina State. I wouldn't mind seeing Citadel. I wouldn't mind seeing Wofford. You know, maybe Charleston Southern. Uh, Presbyterian. I w- Campbell. Those are just a few names of schools. You know, Gardner-Webb. Those are just a few schools that you could look at and say, hey, maybe they jump up to FBS and join the Sun Belt. I don't know how exactly that would work if if they need to say that they want to jump to the FBS first and then get offered a spot in, in a conference or if a conference can offer them initially. That would still be, you know, those schools those schools would make those schools would make things interesting in the Sun Belt, I feel. Now, would they be able to compete right away? Probably not. But, you know, getting up to the FBS level, that would enhance their recruiting, definitely. So that that will be interesting to see if uh, how this new realignment transpires and and how it impacts things moving forward. So lots of... Lots of moving pieces starting to move into place in college football in terms of should be an interesting next couple of months and next year or so. Uh, one other uh, one other big story in college that was was questioned. This was something that was mentioned uh, during the. I'm trying to remember what game it was. I'm trying to re- I, I forget exactly what game it was that was on on Saturday that had a few targeting calls and and one in particular that, you know, a lot of people said, you know, played an impact on the game. But Mike Golick then proceeded to mention it on Twitter, Twitter and said, you know, the targeting rule needs to change. And I've been saying this for a long time. I've been saying this ever since the targeting rule first came into being, that it needed to be changed. But he came up with a solution that I think works. Because, yes, we need to make the game safer. Yes, we need to make it, you know, we need to make tackling safety for all that. I understand that. The problem that he had with the targeting rule isn't so much the rule itself in terms of the penalty. You know, yes, make a targeting penalty like face mask, like, you know, some of the other, you know, like horse collar tackles, all of that. It makes sense. Have a targeting penalty, 15 yards, all of that. The problem that I have with it is the is the ejection aspect of it. Why do you need to eject the player for one targeting penalty? The penal the penalty on the field should be enough of a of a of a for the coaching staff that they say you need to stop. 
And obviously, if there's a player that's hurting their team by having multiple targeting penalties put on them, they're gonna they're gonna have an issue with that, and they're not gonna want that player anymore. So this concept of and, and I saw some people commenting to Mike Golick's post on Twitter saying, oh, the only way that the, the players are going to learn to stop is by, paint, you know, sending them off the field and not letting them play. No, I call BS on that. Because even if they're not being taken off the field immediately, the coaches are going to be on their ass about it. And as a result, the learning the the learning tool and the discipline that they need to to get their acts into shape and and to and to learn uh how to tackle properly so just the penalty in and of itself should be enough i don't get why you have to automatically eject players and i under i i get the concept people have been saying that oh it's a, an extra deterrent we're trying to get those types of hits out of the game i get it i get it. but here's the thing here's the other thing that that has this is what bothers me about the roughing the passer penalty in in the nfl this is the problem that i that i don't like about the targeting rule and and there are i'm sure there are a few others a few other penalties that don't get quite as much attention that have been that have been either changed or added in order to add to the you know the safety of the game which I'm don't get me wrong I understand why it needs to be done but whoever made these rules did not play foot did not ever play football and does not understand common physics because how many times the the one that I real that I that I go to all the time and this was in week one of the first yeah you know, the week week one of the first season that this rule was implemented in the NFL the whole roughing the passer one is Clay Matthews I forget what quarterback it was on I want to say it might have been Drew Brees uh, which made it even worse obviously but Clay Matthews makes a Textbook tackle, no lowering of the helmet, no nothing, makes a textbook tackle, and just simply because he landed on top, which I don't know how you wouldn't land on top of him, he gets called for a roughing the passer penalty. And that really set tenor for that rule. Luckily, it's changed since, I think. Or people just don't notice it as much because that was the first big one. But, and I mean, you see it every now and again. But targeting is the same way where, and a lot of times you'll see this. You'll see the player going for a, a textbook tackle with his shoulder, maybe lowering his head a little bit, but more so just to get that momentum. But then the offensive player will lower his head to try to initiate contact to push him off. And that's where you'll get the helmet-to-helmet contact, and and it'll be penalized on the defensive player. There needs to be two things that change with the targeting rule. One, they need to look in-depth at who initiated the contact 
And who initiated the helmet to helmet? So if it's, they need to make it like pass interference. If it's a, if it's a situation where the offensive player was the one that initiated the contact, and the and the defensive player was just going for uh, a, a textbook tackle, then it should be a 15 yard penalty on the offense, not on the defense. And you know, if you want to eject the the offensive player, fine. But here's the other thing too. Either a just simply make it a 15 yard penalty, which should be reason enough for coaches to be getting on their players if they're getting multiples of these. But on top of that, so it should just be that. It should just be that. Get rid of the ejection. Or at the very least, if if you still want to keep the ejection, make it like the NBA for flagrant, flagrant fouls. If it's a flagrant flagrant one where it was a helmet to helmet or you know it was a it, it was a targeting penalty but it was you know it wasn't deliberate it wasn't malicious it was just it happened in the course of the game fine given the penalty to to make sure that you're trying to take those tackles out of the game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the player stays on. No no ejection. If it's a deliberate attack and there was malicious intent, then, yeah, make it a flagrant two and he's gone. Simple as that. I think that would – I think that would help a lot when it comes to when it comes to how the rule is enforced and just because and I'm surprised that we don't see this more and I think it is just because you know the NCA is so hell bent on on focusing on this surprised that you don't see more leniency when it comes to targeting calls because if I were a referee and especially with how it is now where you review each targeting call and and that's where you could easily get you know it's like a flagrant one flagrant two you go to the monitor see if it was malicious and call it based off of that but right now as the rule stands it's just Oh, if it is targeting, he's gone. If it's not, there's no penalty at all. Describe it like, you know, during the time in uh, in England with the bloody code. You know, when, uh, you know, when the only conviction or the only, when the only punishment for a crime was death, a lot of juries would not want to convict someone for a small crime because they knew what the punishment would be. So if you if you lower punishment for penalty, paradoxically 
more flags being thrown. At least I would think. Now, I may be wrong because you don't really see all that much restraint, it seems, in terms of the officials and the referees when it comes to targeting. And maybe I'm not looking that far into it, but that's just my general thought on the matter. Is that it seems like there aren't as many the refs don't seem to restrain themselves as much as they should, at least in my opinion. But like I said, I think the way you fix the problem is by making it like the NBA, make it a flagrant one or flagrant two, and act accordingly. I don't get how that that's, how that's that hard. Because how many games do you think have been impacted by a targeting penalty that may or may not have been warranted. Um, But that's just my thought on the matter. That's just my thought that, you know, I think think it needs to be ruled like that. Um, I hope it changes. I hope that... You know, the fact that more people seem to be speaking out against it get gets it to be changed. But we'll just have to wait and see. I, I certainly want it to be changed. I'll take a quick break and then come back and got a got probably the most interesting story all year. More developments on and other things talk about 11 obviously uh when we return here on sports unlimited on sports central we'll be right back
Welcome back to Sports Unlimited right here on Southern Sports Central. Before I get into my my big uh, final news piece of the morning, uh, just a quick little uh, news that came out yesterday that really the case, it's not a good look for the MLB. Uh, Hunter Renfro alleged that the MLB told the Red Sox to stop testing for COVID-19 during an outbreak throughout the team. And obviously, MLB has refuted the claim. But if that really is the case, that, that that's what they're doing, that's not good look for the MLB to be coming, you know, to be having that uh, come out. And, you know, obviously more more chaos and more distrust of of everything going on. Okay, before um actually you know what? Yeah. So that we end on a high note or an interesting note, uh, before I get to my final story, just wanted to take a moment. Uh you know, obviously September eleventh tomorrow. Um and I, I would love to hear your guys' um, thoughts on this and your guys' experience when it comes to this. Um, calling in 323-784-9681 is the number to call. The number again, 323-784-9681. But it's so weird, especially for people of my generation who were – you know, we're either little kids or in middle school or even high in high school at the time. Um, stories of those who were who lived, you know, whether it was here in South Carolina or anywhere else in the country, hearing stories of them watching it unfold on TV is so weird to me. Because my experience of that day 20 years ago was so much different because of where I lived and the community I lived in at the time. You know, I lived in a small suburban town in New Jersey that's only about, on on a good day, probably, without traffic, probably about a half hour away from the city, from lower Manhattan. With traffic, it would probably take you at least an hour. Or you could take the train in. But I lived in a, in a town that, you know, a lot of parents worked in the city. You know, that's where the vast majority of people worked. It was a it was a it was a nice upper middle class to upper class town, very affluent town where a lot of parents worked in worked in the city. And so for those, you know, no one knew who, you know, the par- or the you know, even in a small town like like Glenrock, you you didn't necessarily, you know, no one not everyone knew everyone. You didn't know everyone that worked where everyone worked. 
so the 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 teachers and the administrators in I was in the fourth grade at the time. No one in the schools knew precisely whose parents may be working there or whose parents were safe. You didn't know anything at the time. And obviously the chaos of that day uh, played another role. But because of the uncertainty of, you know, who whose parent may be there, they didn't tell us anything. So, you know, and, you know, what's ironic is it was supposed to be our day to go to the computer lab. They, like, ro- they rotated classes, like, every every week of who would get computer time. And I forget I forget exactly what we did. They probably taught us how to type and whatnot and, you know, just had us do some assignments on the computer or whatnot. I mean, remember, this is, this is the early 2000s when the computer the computer and the internet was still relatively new. But I remember the first thing that they said was relatively early on in the day, probably after probably after the first tower was hit, or maybe after the second one was hit, was that the computer uh, that we would not have our computer time, which this was ironic. It was ironically, it was the second week in a row that we didn't have it. Um, the first week, I forget why we didn't have it, but we didn't have it for a second week in a row. Um, but then, you know, so that wasn't really that off the wall crazy. So it was like, okay, you know, something's going on with the computers or something. And then, and then suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, um, Suddenly, uh, out of nowhere, later on in the day, um, you know, or not really later on in the day, but shortly thereafter, suddenly they say, over the intercom, they say, you know, no one will be able to go out for recess today due to, uh, like, uh, due to, uh, you know, uh, weed killer or, or, you know, uh, bug killer or some, you know, uh, some sort of, uh, some sort of chemical being sprayed on the grass. And I remember thinking to myself that, and and this was even, you know, as a, as a nine-year-old, as a fourth grader thinking that doesn't sound right. That's, that doesn't make sense. And I remember saying out loud, I said, this, this is odd. This, this, something doesn't feel right here. Um, and then sure enough, uh, and, and then after that, after that, I, it might've been that it was either after, uh, either after that announcement or, you know, throughout the day after a while, you know, by like noon or something, kids started getting picked up early by their parents, you know, here and there, you know, every, you know, maybe 15, 20 minutes, half hour, another parent would come in and pick up their child. And so you knew something was not, but obviously they couldn't tell us anything because they weren't sure whose parents might be there. So it, it it's one of those interesting stories of like you know so many 
even kids talk about seeing it live on TV. Uh, you know when you know in class when it happens and knowing about it and and seeing teachers' reactions and all of that. I had the. I had a complete opposite react, or I had a, you know, those of us who lived in the New York area had a completely opposite interaction because no one knew who might be there. So the teachers had to be stoic, even though I'm sure they were, you know, in shock. You know, I don't even know. That's actually an interesting question. I would love to go back and ask uh, some of my teachers that question of were they even told what was going on that day or were they also left in the dark until they uh, until they got you know or at least until they were able to be told um but yeah so you know and then obviously when my mom picked me up that day uh she was able to you know she finally told me and then obviously seeing it on tv you know throughout the day um but yeah it was you know so for those of you who you know live down here and and i'm sure you you guys knew from the get-go what was going on from when it first happened uh even if you were in school it was very different it was very different for us uh in, in the new york area because you didn't know who who might who might be affected so so yeah, there's my story. Obviously, you know, never forget and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, you know, it, it's still crazy to think that it's 20 years. So it, it's been 20 years, and I was actually when I went up to New York uh, for my mom's funeral uh, a month ago. Uh, we actually went over to the 9/11 memorial and all of that. Went up into the new tower. So, so yeah, there's my uh, there's there's my 9/11 story uh, for you guys. And like I said, if you guys want to get your, uh, I would love to hear what other people's experience who you know lived outside of the outside of the area that was affected, um, how their uh, how their day was, uh, or how how that day was for them. Um, now getting that out of the way, the final story, which, this story just keeps on getting crazier and crazier by the day, it seems. So Bishop Sycamore, the, the talk of the high school world over the last couple of weeks. It just keeps on getting crazier and crazier. Recently, I forget it was it was some sort. Of, it was one of the either the TV stations or one of the newspapers in Ohio did a story on them after the debacle with IMG, interviewing the new head coach after the old head coach was fired right afterwards, and the new head coach now proceeds to say. We do not offer a curriculum. We are not a school. He referred, uh, okay, well, 
here's here's my question. Then if you're not a school, what are you? And he proceeds to refer to the school as a post-grad football academy. Now, first of all, at least my rudimentary understanding of the post-grad schools that have just started to pop up over the last few years, obviously, you know, you've got a couple around here, uh, you know, you've got Myrtle Beach Prep, you have a few others uh, around the area. Obviously, IMG has their post-grad team. You see it a lot in AAU tournaments and other, you know, you'll, you'll see, you know, post-grad tournaments uh, being played in, you know, in the AAU circuit or, you know, AAU adjacent circuit, if you, if you, um, and, you know, you've got, you know, like now you, you see it more like, I feel like post-grad schools, at least traditionally, well, not really as traditionally as you can get, but, you know, when you think of post-grad schools, or at least when I think of post-grad schools, you more so think of basketball more than football. But they're apparently popping up more and more in football as well. Obviously, IMG is the big one. Uh, my understanding of post-grad academies is that they still offer courses, and that's the whole point of them, is to help players who may not have the grades to get into a JUCO or a four-year program and need a way to get their grades up or their skill sets up or maybe both in order to get to the next level. And that's what the post-grad academies are there for. Now, I could be wrong, but that's at least the stated goal of the post-grad academies in my understanding of what they are. So now my question is, if that's not what Bishop Sycamore is, well, first, if if that's what you are, if you are a post-grad academy, unless, unless everyone got their notes wrong, IMG, well, I'd have to go back and look at some of the stats and look at the roster of IMG and see which, because they have a number of rosters. They have a number of teams. Teams, you know, they've got their national high school team, but then they have their post-grad team. So I don't know which team was playing Bishop Sycamore. So if you're if that was the high school team, if that was a national high school team, then why is a post grad team playing a high school team? Shouldn't it be post grad and post grad? So that that's my first question there. Unless you know unless either one of three things happened. Or one of four things happened. Either A IMG didn't realize this, and you had a post-grad team playing a high school team. And first off, that's hilarious. A high school team was able to be a post-grad team, although not really all that surprising considering what the post-grads are for, at least their stated purposes. 
Um, second option is that it was IMG's post-grad team and either ESPN or uh, that the – I forget the name of the the marketing company that created the game. Uh, but one someone was fooled into putting a post-grad game on as a high school game. Or no one had any clue of what they were doing, and it was just all a mess. I'm leaning towards going towards the third option. But, yeah, it was just a debacle. And this leads me to the question of how are they able to play, even at the post-grad school? Now, like I said, I have a very rudimentary understanding. You know, obviously the post-grad schools have become a thing only over the last few years. And I only, you know, I only have a rudimentary understanding of what the postgrad academies are, more so from covering basketball tournaments more than anything. But my understanding of it, like I said, is that they are there to help student athletes get the, their grades up to get into a JUCO or a four-year school. So if you're not offering a curriculum, then you're not really even a post-grad academy. So how are you able to play? Now, the Ohio governor, Mike DeWine, said he plans to investigate the school. Um, And first off, I don't understand. I don't see how this doesn't result in the shutting down of the program. And second, I hope this leads to a tighter grip on the post-grad, you know, the the post, for one, this definitely needs to result in a much deeper look and a much closer look and maybe even create some sort of post-grad governing body for these post-grad prep academies that are popping up all over the place. Now that has suddenly become the new trend, there needs to be much more overhead when it comes to these post-grad prep academies and a much deeper look at what they're really doing and just, you know, what are, are they really doing what they're stating they're doing? Because... I'm just playing under the assumption. Now, I'm I'm sure there are some legit I mean obviously IMG is a legitimate thing. You know, but even they I think need to be scrutinized a little more. But you really need to look at these academies and say, "Okay, what are you doing?" Are you really doing what you're saying you're doing? And I think the colleges, too, also have to look at this, too. Because, I mean, obviously Bishop Sycamore is not, you know, one of the, you know, they're not like IMG. They're not even like Myrtle Beach Prep where, you know, you're getting, you know, you have Division One talent on those teams. And they're getting offers after the fact. And, you know, whatever the post-grad academies is used for, they're 
it seems to be working in those scenarios. But beyond that, you you really need to figure out, okay, you know, there needs to be some sort of overhead. There needs to be some sort of government look at at these programs and see, you know, are they really good for these student athletes? Because I could, I, I mean, we see it already with Bishop Sycamore, um, apparently at least. I don't, I don't know, but it seems like this, you know, this has just opened up the the gate, or this has opened the floodgates on, you know, these post grad academies. What are they really, and what what do they really stand for, um, and are they really good for college athletics and 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 the student athletes? So, I I think you know I don't I don't know if the NCAA really has much of of control over this at all. Probably not. They don't have much control over anything at this point, but there needs to be that look at, okay, what, you know, what do we do with this? Where do we go from here? Um, and how do we get this under control to where we don't have schools like where it looks like they're just, you know, basically what I think it seems to be is there seems to be a hierarchy of, high school athletes going into college. And unfortunately, it it's a, it, it it's based a lot around, you know, both race and income inequality. Obviously, you have the top-notch athletes who are going to go to division 1. Then you have the then you have the athletes underneath them who go D2 and 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 Real JUCOs. Um, then you have the D three players and and whatnot. You know, um, you you know you have the D one players. You got the JUCO players. You've got D two, D three, and then below that, it seems like now you have these post grad football academies that are popping up, some more legitimate than others, and some actually offering players as opposed to just basically letting anyone in. And it is that hierarchy of, okay, you have the top-end post-grad academies, like Myrtle Beach uh, Collegiate, at least based on what I've seen. Or Myrtle Beach Prep. Yeah, Myrtle Beach Collegiate, I think it's called. Um. So you've got, you know, the higher-end prep academies, the post-grad academies that are, you know, legitimate and, and trying to give players that may not quite have the grades or whatnot that opportunity to get to the next level. And then you start going down until you get to the bottom, which is Bishop Sycamore, which is basically giving players that have no chance of getting to the next level a – either 
A, you can look at it in two ways. The the good way and the bad way. The good way is that they're giving them one last chance to play before their, you know, their careers are over. But that's probably not so much the case. So much as it is a way to, you know, get these players to pay you money to allow them to play and it's basically essentially just like a wreck team, essentially. And you're not even you're not even going to class or anything like that, so you're not really getting anything out of it. It's that all they want to do is play football, and this is the only way they can. That's my thought on Bishop Sycamore. Like I said, I hope it. Uh, I hope this leads to some changes. Uh, when it comes to the post-grad academies and, and all of that and more oversight on these programs. Um, but that'll just about wrap it up for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, hope you guys enjoy whatever game you're going to tonight, whether it's, uh, you know, watching or going to tonight. Uh, so like I said, that'll just about wrap it up for me this morning. Hope you guys enjoyed the show, and until next time, I'm Brandon Bissering, saying so long, and we'll talk to you next time, right here on Sports Unlimited on Southern Sports Unlimited. So long, guys.